Good morning. I cherish times like these to open God's Word and spend this with you. I really do feel that we are a church family, and this is a good opportunity for us to uh, go to our Heavenly Father to read His Word and to get the direction that we need in our lives. We face too many pressures, carry too many anxieties to not regularly go to the Word of God to find perspective. And so hopefully that's what we will find together today. Let me just ask you, over the last month, have you had any anxiousness over your finances? I'm just guessing that may be one of the common denominators in the room. That and the fact that we each have noses. So we face financial pressure all the time. Uh, Most recently, I threw a football through the back windshield of my car. While you might be amazed at my incredible arm cannon, (laughs) it really was more about physics where the ball struck the antenna and the antenna put a pinpoint crack that shattered the entire windshield. And you know, there's that question that can rise up in us when things like that occur and we go, how are we going to pay for that? Or, Or... Perhaps more truthfully, what's this going to cost? It's just an added pressure. It's just one of those life circumstances that just go, oh, great. If things weren't already strained enough or stressed enough, now we've got to do this. It's a, it's a common anxiety that we have. And then we have a, a challenge. When you come into uh, this place and we're in a series on this this uh, call to be decided in the Christian life. Where we're facing what are the key decisions that we could make in the Christian life that would take us further and deeper into the love of God and knowing God and displaying Him uh, to the people around us. And you come in with financial pressure and anxiety and you find that the decision that we're talking about today is either spend or give. And there might be a moment in you where you go, where's the door? In this choice of a decision, spend or give, we find that to do either one is not necessarily right or wrong. There's joy to be found in spending the resources that we have. There's also joy to be found in giving the resources that we have. Our problem is our heart's motivation. We actually have two problems that are associated with two different types of people. Those who have the haves and the have-nots, right? We'll take a look at that. What, we're, what I'm talking about is essentially what you treasure. In the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 6, verse 21, Jesus says, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. We don't typically use the word treasure. We don't come up to one another and say, hey, how's your treasure? Here's what a treasure is. It's a regular investment of your resources. It could be going to an account. It could be going to a home. It could be going to an education. It could be going to a vehicle. It is what you treasure is where you have a regular, systematic investment. When you go through the checkout line at Dillon's and you see a Kit Kat, 
and you go, I do deserve a break today. <laughs> and you spend money on that Kit Kat, it's not tied to your heart. It's tied to other aspects of who you are. But when I throw a football through my vehicle's back window, I have made a regular investment that was a significant cost. Therefore, it is now a concern of my heart. Jesus says, whatever you treasure, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be. For joy or for anxiousness. A regular investment of your resources. That's what treasure is. So we have these two camps of people, the haves and the have-nots. And we can turn to 1 Timothy chapter 6. And I'd like to invite you to turn with me to 1 Timothy chapter 6 as this passage will address both, both groups. Each group represents a problem of our heart when it comes to resources and wealth. 1 Timothy chapter 6. If you don't have a copy of, of the Bible in front of you, I want to invite you to... We have uh, Bibles on the table uh, as you came in the worship center. They're on the side of both sides of the room. I'd love for you to have God's Word in front of you, whether you're looking at it on your phone uh, or you have it in, in front of you um, in paper. But we're going to be in 1 Timothy chapter 6. The first problem of the human heart is that we crave what we do not have. We crave it. We see the things that others have and we go, I don't have that. I need a 6S. We know that, that draw, that pull of our heart to go for things that we don't yet have. We can crave that. I can kill an entire evening, starting from about 7.30, taking a break for bedtime, but then going back to just browsing online for trumpets, all kinds of trumpets. Do you know there's B-flat trumpets, C trumpets, D trumpets, E-flat trumpets, flugelhorns? I can guess that very few of you in this room spend your time browsing for trumpets. <laughs> I heard someone say, I have been. We should talk. <laughs> but maybe it's the Topeka area home site. Maybe there it's uh, some auto trader that you're just continually just looking, what, what could you get? This first problem of our heart, of craving what we do not have, we find instruction and a warning in 1 Timothy 6, verse 9. It says, But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. In this verse, we see two words that are very similar. One is the word desire, and the other word is desires. They seem like the same word, but in the original language, they're two separate words altogether. The first word is a, is a word that means purpose or life objective. That they wake up. The idea is that you would wake up each day and go, um, 
I want to be self-made. It's my purpose to gather as much as I can so that I have to depend on no one, no thing, no institution. I can have life on my terms. It's a drivenness to be rich. It's rightly represented in, I want money, lots and lots of money. I want my slice of the pie. Callaway, the 80s. Check it out. (laughs) It's this heart set objective. This is what I want. But there's a progression of danger when that is our heart's desire. You can see it in the passage. It says, those who desire to be rich will fall into temptation. Temptation is, the, is a thought that would, that would be outside of God's best. That usually is represented when we're thinking about something that we don't yet have, that we go, oh, I wonder what that could mean in terms of a monthly payment. Or we know we don't have the resources for it, but yet we, we're going to stretch or overstretch for it because that's going to be the thing that will really, really be the best for our home or for our driveway. And so you move from a thought... And then it goes into a snare where you find yourself trapped now into some type of financial bondage. You've become slave to a lender. And you went from a purpose to gain wealth to ideas of how you can gather more for yourself. And then you find yourself trapped into many senseless and harmful desires. Now, this word desires is different than a life purpose. This is what is born out of someone with a life purpose like this, where it's, it becomes what you crave. It moves you to, to be stirred by greed and envy. And you end up in a place that you never thought you, quite, you would have. Because then finally, the third step is that it It will plunge people into ruin and destruction. You go from a thought to being trapped to being drowned. This happens to us easily because life is so uncertain. If you financially strap yourself to go after the things that you crave that you don't have, we live in Kansas. There's going to be high winds. There's going to be hail. There's going to be tornadoes. There's going to be stuff that natural disasters that affect your home. Then you're really going to be in a bind. Verse 10, for the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. This idea of the love of money is, this verse is often misquoted. People will say that money is the root of all evils. But it's the love of money. Paul is very specific in choosing this word. It is the only time this word appears in the entire Bible. He's speaking to the heart condition, the motivation behind, I want money. But he says it is a root of all kinds of evils. It springs from that heart's desire. All kinds of ungodly things. It is through this craving 
that some have wandered away from the faith. This idea of craving is to overstretch. Imagine prison bars in front of me and just dangling out of my reach are the, are the circle of skeleton keys that hang on a metal ring and your face is pressed against the bars and you are stretching, you are imprisoned, yet you're stretching for what you think will bring you freedom. That's the, that's the sense behind this word, craving. You strain for what you think will satisfy. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. That idea of pangs is a grief attached to sorrow and loss. It's a grief of loss. It's not a toothache. It's a loss of what life was supposed to be. Because they have wandered away from the faith. The wording here that Paul uses is very precise. The faith tells us that Jesus Christ is the Son of God who died on the cross for our sin. Old Testament scripture in Isaiah says he was pierced for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquities. Jesus bore our pain. He died for us. He bore our grief upon himself. He took that for us. But when you shift your heart's passion away from Christ onto things of this world, this passage says you wander from the faith and you pierce yourself. When he was pierced for you, And you end up exposing yourself to grief and sorrow over your life condition instead of trusting in the one who died for that and took that grief upon himself. We have a problem. We crave what we do not have. And it can move us away from the gospel of thinking much about Jesus and what he has accomplished. This is the problem of those who view themselves of not having what they should, the not-haves. And it's tempting. I mean, just look at the screen. You know what this is? This is a Monet Raja trumpet. The valve tops are laden with precious stones. <laughs> this is the kind of stuff that I literally can spend time looking at. The mouthpiece is built into the horn. You don't even need a mouthpiece. You just pick it up and... <laughs> For the low, low price... Of $20,000. It could be mine. I know what you long for is not that. But it's shiny and bright. And you don't have it. You can crave it. There's also a group of people in... This room, 
who have. They have wealth. They have resources. Due to the timing of, the, of entering an industry that's become lucrative or because of an education that has, that has put you in a place where you have a profession, that you have become wealthy. You don't wake up thinking, how will I make my payments? Now, if we are honest, globally, it's all Americans because of what we have and where we live and what we drive and how we track our steps. Although mine doesn't um, help me read text messages. And yours does. And I, I want that. Listen to this instruction in verse 17 of chapter 6. We're going to skip forward to chapter 6 of verse 17, where it describes the danger of the heart for this group. As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. The idea behind this word that we don't often use, where he says, charge them not to be haughty, we don't use that word very often. It's the idea that we should not think much of ourselves based off what we have. That we should not have this idea that we're, I'm good because I have plenty. It's not to think of yourself higher than you should. And then it says there's even a, a sneakier danger. Charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches. This word hopes is not wishful thinking. This isn't, I, I hope it'll work out. This is security. That what will save you through this life is having enough resources at the end. It's this problem of our heart that we will hope in what we do have. That we will have a, a certain security for our future because of what we have gathered. There could be this perspective that there's this golden dream called retirement. And that that can become the goal and the hope of people in this room. The problem is, is that according to this text, it says... We can set our hopes on the uncertainty of riches. That means that we can't trust wealth to be our place of security. Stock markets crash. Industries fail. We lose our job. We get diagnoses that change everything. And our financial condition is all of a sudden under great threat. It's uncertain, and money is a horrible God. When we have wealth, we can move our heart away from dependence on the Lord because we've been blinded by our bling. And it's not that wealth is wrong. This is not about creating some kind of shame and guilt for those in this room 
who have means. It says these riches, we're not to set our hopes on them, but we're supposed to set our hopes on God who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. There's supposed to be enjoyment in spending. It's okay to have a break today. But there's something that we can do with our resources that, that wells up joy. And that's verse 18. It says, they're to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share. Thus, storing up treasure, there's our word, that regular investment. They're storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. Now let me tell you, in this verse where it says they're laying up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future, this is not talking about the golden age of retirement. This is not talking about your security in this life. It says there's a good foundation being laid for the future. And Paul is going to call Timothy to encourage them to take home of what is truly life. And truly life is not found, what is truly life is not found in this present age. So what they're storing up by generosity and being ready to share is building something for eternal life and is building up joy in your own life in this present age. The danger that faces our hearts when we have gathered things for ourselves is we hope in what we do have. We hope in what we do have. Paul tells Timothy to have them take hold of that which is truly life. We've talked about the have-nots and the craving of what we do not have. We've talked about the haves and placing our hope in what we do have. It's like two sides of an Oreo cookie. And now we're going to get to the stuff in the middle. Scripture does this from time to time, where there's something that is so important, so central to the Christian life, that there will be an introduction of a topic on one side, and then on another side, it will be repeated or, or mentioned in, a, in another form to draw the listener and the reader's attention to what is the center of the two. So we've talked about the lack of wealth and a desire for it. We've talked about the presence of wealth and what can happen as we can wander away from putting our hope in God. And now what comes to the center? And this, I want to bring you back to verse 11. Paul makes a very personal focus to Timothy. He says, but as for you, verse 11, O man of God, flee these things, pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, and gentleness. He has this great title that he gives to Timothy. He says, but you, oh man of God. It's a title that belongs to Timothy because Timothy made it a good confession. That Jesus Christ would be his king and that he would love and follow him. Paul says, you, oh man of God, flee these things. Flee the cravings. Flee setting your hopes on things that you have and run after Jesus. Pursue. There's this word pursue in verse 11. It's the opposite of the word desire in verse 9. There's a godly pursuit of our lives. Righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, gentleness. 
Verse 12, Paul tells him, fight the good fight of the faith. The image of fighting a good fight, it's where we get the word agony. We wake up every day with the temptation to be overcome by our financial position or fears that we would maybe lose what we have. Every day, we will not improve in this life in our heart's brokenness to want what we don't have. We don't get better. It's not about self-improvement. It is about a dependent life on Jesus Christ, who is our King, seeking after Him. And every day, there will be a decision to make of what will be the motivation behind the use of my resources. Will I be motivated to spend or motivated to give? It's a fight. Fight the good fight of the faith. It says the faith because it's a reminder to never let go of the gospel. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called and about which you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. This idea of take hold is a specific phrase to rescue someone. It is a rescue grip to pull them out of a condition and into a place of safety and comfort and care. This is the language that is used of Jesus when he went and he healed the lame. It said Jesus took hold of his hand. It's not that he just placed his hand on their head like it was duck, duck, goose. He was pulling them out of their condition into what he can only do. He alone can rescue. He alone can save. And Timothy made the good confession to trust in Jesus and not in anything of this world. Paul tells him in verse 13, I charge you in the presence of God who gives life to all things and of Christ Jesus, who in his testimony before Pontius Pilate made the good confession. We see this idea of the good confession again, but what is the good confession of Christ? We know Timothy's good confession was to believe in Jesus. Well, what is the good confession of Jesus himself? We have it in John chapter 18. Pontius Pilate asks him, are you king of the Jews? And Jesus says, my kingdom is not of this world. Pilate says, so you are a king. And Jesus says, you say that I am. He made the good confession that he is the king. Now, when you read a phrase like this, where an older believer is going to charge a younger believer, I charge you, he starts bringing out the heavy artillery in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus. Who's the king? This is biblical speak of pay attention. This is the good stuff. He charges them, verse 14, to keep the commandment unstained and free from reproach until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ. There is some discussion as to what this word commandment is referring to. John MacArthur has a view that this word commandment is tied to holding fast to the truth of God's word. Other commentators tie it to fighting the good fight of the faith. And in 1 Timothy chapter 1, it says, wage the good warfare. That this has been a theme through the book. The most common uh, referent in the passage is fight the good fight of the faith. Take hold of the eternal life. That is found in Jesus Christ. I think all of those answers can be right. 
and good, but the commandment is to hold fast to the gospel, to not wander from the faith, to not be pulled away to the cares of this world as the motivation of your heart. We are to keep this commandment unstained and free from reproach until a certain event occurs. And it says it's the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ. And the next verse explains it. It says, which he will display at the proper time, a time known only to God the Father, where Jesus will be sent and he will appear in the sky and those who have been dead in Christ and who are alive in Christ will be caught up with their king. This is going to happen. It's going to happen. And we will see that He is the blessed and only sovereign King of kings and Lord of lords. He alone, in verse 16, has immortality. It means that He possesses immortality. It means that He holds it in His hands. Who dwells in unapproachable light whom no one has ever seen or can see. To Him be honor and eternal dominion. Amen. The wake-up call we need is to see the greatness of Jesus and His rightful place being restored in our hearts that He is my King. Everything I have, all that I am belongs to Him. This great doxology says, to Him be honor and eternal dominion. To honor someone is to pay them the tribute they are due. Proverbs chapter 3 verse 9 says, Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. There is a specific call that will break the power of of craving what we don't have or placing our security and hope in what we do. And it's to give to honor Christ. That this would be the motivation of your treasure. For Jesus Christ to be your treasure, it demands a regular investment of your resources to His work Do not treat Jesus like a last-minute item in Dylan's. In the lobby, I just spoke with a man who attends our church, and he said, you know, before we moved here, we were just giving uh, a little bit a month. And we came and we heard the truth of God's Word being taught And so I told my wife that we would begin to tithe our resources. He just talked to me about this. And I said, well, what happened? He goes, well, my license for my job hasn't gone through, and so they they moved me away from work. But he's still tithing. I said, well, what's going on now? He goes, goes, well, I've been wanting to pray more. So I've been praying more. I go, well, now what's happening? He goes, well, I've been thinking about serving in Highcrest. Why would that transformation happen? Because where your treasure is, what's there? 
There your heart is also. A regular investment to the work of God will build a deeper love and satisfaction in Christ. The motivation is not to just give to Fellowship Bible Church, but to honor the King. 29% of those who give resources at Fellowship do so on a regular basis. 71% are not giving on a regular, consistent basis. This is never about shame and guilt. This is never trying to amount massive wealth for Fellowship Bible Church. There is a godly principle that the people of God would pool their resources so that needs would be met in our city and in Shawnee County and around the world, that the name of Jesus could be lifted up. You give to honor Christ. It doesn't matter the amount. I just know from God's word and truth that if I want a heart for Jesus, there will demand an aspect from my life that there is a regular investment of my resources for his name. And you can start. We have made it, we've tried to make it as easy as possible to help each other pool our resources so people don't have to fear that they don't have anything left to eat. That we can support resources like the Rescue Mission, Trash Mountain Project, Living Water International, specific individuals and families that have sacrificed everything to go for the sake of his name. Could you imagine what God could release when we have a regular investment to honor him from our lives? If you want to start, you can start. Go to fbctopeka.com slash give. We want to be free from the problems of our heart, and God has provided a way. The answer is always Jesus. Give to honor him. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for the life that we have in Jesus. We can take hold of true life instead of grasping or or hoarding what we have. Lord, we want you to be our heart's greatest desire. Lord, may we pursue godliness and righteousness and love. May we be ready to share and to give so that the name of Christ would increase. Lord Jesus, you are our king. To you be honor and eternal dominion. Amen.